Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hey, everyone, I'm happy to be back with you again today, and I am especially thrilled to have Alicia Akins here with us. Alicia is the author of a book titled Invitations to Abundance, and this book examines the imagery of feasts in the Bible. Alicia says she wrote this book for anyone who has ever been disillusioned, and her book argues that the feasts given by God in the Hebrew Bible, as well as in the New Testament, are invitations to all invitations to experience and rest in God's presence, especially during times of hardship, grief, or when the path forward seems dim and obscured. Alicia also explains what it might look like to accept God's invitations and how rich she felt when she did so. I am really thankful to have Alicia on today, not only as a podcast guest, but also because this book found me and encouraged me right when I needed it. And in fact, I truly believe that God used this book to invite me into His presence um, recently. I actually want to start by thanking you um, personally for your book. Um, it it has really encouraged me. Honestly, it oh, did. Right. I Yes, I... Um, I, I think I was plunged into a very intense um, crisis of faith, um, mm. you know, over the last few weeks with this situation in Ukraine and um, not even knowing how to pray about it and really taking a step back and looking at the suffering, not only there, but all over the world. And mm. in fact, throughout generations, um, <laughs> doing this podcast has probably taught me that um if nothing else you know the human experience is an experience of suffering um suffering mm-hmm. and resiliency mm-hmm. and i i i was just really plunged into this crisis <laughs> um yeah. and i feel that um it was kind of mercifully short but i really truly feel that your book um particularly the chapter i think on psalm 23 and 63 really mm-hmm. um you know, we're kind of part of me uh, getting back to just a stable place, like n- no less sad, no less horrified, but a little more stable and not mm. quite so. Um, I, I, w- I would say the crisis is resolved. <laughs> Faith is yeah. resolved, oh, you know, although. Good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to thank you um, really personally for that. Thank you. Mm. That is really encouraging to hear. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I think I shared even a little bit um, before that. I read the end of the book before the first part oh, <laughs> when I love it, love it. <laughs> yeah, and um, and there was a part there I shared personally about that really um, helped me out mm, as well. So, communion, yeah, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so now that people listening um, know that this book might might really be able to help them out. <laughs> Why don't we tell them a little bit about it? So can you just tell us um, about the title, Invitations to Abundance, which really gives me such a thrill every time I read it or say it. What does this mean? Yeah. So um, the title of the book was originally Come Feast. Mm. And um, I did not intend at the beginning um, to have each of the chapters, um, 
written to a specific group of people Mm. in the beginning, that was for me. So I knew who I was writing to, Mm. um, because I wanted to be clear in my mind, who is the person who needs to hear this? Mm. Um, and so as it was a, a part of my sort of, um, I guess hermeneutic or or my writing process. And I, something that I try to do regularly when I write is think about who's going to be reading this and Mm. what, what, what they need sort of Mm. what assurances they need, how they need to be spoken to what they're bringing to um, their reading experience based Mm. on their lives. Mm. Um, And so then the more I like thought about it, I was like, I want to keep these in. And as I was thinking about the, um, the ending of each chapter being sort of like a liturgy. Um, I thought that that could be sort of like a response, like an RSVP. And so that's sort of how the idea of the book being composed of several invitations came about. But after I had submitted the manuscript to the publisher, they wrote back and they were like, we'd like you to consider uh, changing the name of this book because we feel like Come Feast um, gives off very strong cookbook vibes. And this mm-hmm. is a book. And so they encouraged me to think of a new title. And I thought like, I remember it was a Friday and I was sitting at my desk and I was like, well, it's invitations and there are invitations and it's about abundance. So what about invitations to abundance? I didn't think they were going to go with that. I just was like, well, here's an idea off the top of my head, mm. but let me think more about it over the weekend. Mm. I thought more about it over the weekend and they came back and were like, we like your first suggestion. So that's how it ended up being invitations to abundance. I love it. I love it. And, um, it makes me think of, um, a verse in the Bible that says, um, I have come that you might have life and life Mm -hmm. abundant. Um, And I like the idea that it's not, uh, uh, well, to me, the reason I like it, let me, let me back up. (laughs) Um, Who is doing the inviting in your book? Um, Nine tenths of the book, 90% of the book Mm. is about um, God inviting us. Mm. Um, to himself, to his table, to his goodness. Um, and then there are parts in the book um, and more at the end where I talk about what that means for us as um, people who have been invited than becoming people who invite. Mm. But the majority of the book is sort of rooted and based in the invitations that God makes to us. Mm hmm. I guess my question then for you would be, especially um, like speaking for my audience that's listening right now, um, who come from a large number of different faith traditions. Um, I, I know that for absolutely sure, because I've had many, many of them discussed on this podcast as for where each person individually is spiritually. Of course, that's a very intimate conversation and I have no way of knowing that. So, um, who would you say is the audience for your book? Uh, that's a great question. Mm. When I first, um, began thinking about writing this book in 2019, Mm. uh, my agent asked me who the audience for the book was. And I said, anyone old enough to be disillusioned, Mm. hurt by the world, And, um, you know, that was not having any idea that 
several months later, the world would shut down, that there would be widespread disillusionment that would just sort of deepen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and intensify Mm -hmm. over the following two years. But in terms of people coming from different faith backgrounds and being able to appreciate the book, one of the things I think um, people, an idea that people have about God Mm-hmm. is that he is angry or vengeful mm-hmm. or that he is manipulative or um, that he is absent, that mm-hmm. he just kind of like sets the world in motion and then stands back and doesn't intervene, um, that he's not an immediate help, that uh, there are a million places you could go uh, before turning to him. Like Mm -hmm. God is a last resort when Mm -hmm. catastrophes happen, everyone prays Mm -hmm. in normal times that is, goes out the window for Mm -hmm. both Christians and non-Christians. I remember living in China when there was a huge earthquake and everybody was like, we're praying for the victims. And in my mind, I was like, who who are you? Who, how, help me understand how this works for someone who doesn't believe Mm -hmm. that there's a divine being. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think one of the things that this book does is to show that that isn't who God is. And a lot of the book is from the old Testament. And that's where a lot of this angry God imagery uh, Mm -hmm. or stereotype comes from. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't believe that I have painted or represented the God of the old Testament in my book in a way that would lead someone to come away with any idea other than that he is present. Mm-hmm. He's concerned mm-hmm. that he has a plan, um, that he, um, he longs for people to thrive and flourish. And yes. I think that, that comes through. I think it does. If that was your goal, you nailed Yay. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want, I mean, I, I wanted to encourage people who felt like mm-hmm. when they're in the middle of going through something that God doesn't offer them anything or that the only thing that he offers them is something that's far off in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many people that I've talked to when they've been in the midst of trials and hardships, if you ask them, like, what do you think God has for you now? It's hard for them to answer that. Mm. And I wanted to show like, he has more for you now than you think, Mm. even if it's not a rescue, you know, like even if he doesn't part the Red Sea for you right now, there's something that he has for you Mm. in the current situation that you're in. I really appreciate that. And, and again, that came out really beautifully in your book. And, um, I want to talk about that more in a minute and a couple of the later questions I have. But first, I want to go back to something that you said, um, I think maybe in the introduction, you said it early in your book, and you said that feasts tell us how God wants to be understood and approached. So we've been talking about how God kind of approaches us with an invitation, um, with a desire to, you know, lavish us with um, his presence. But how about this other direction, how God wants to be understood and approached? How do you think the feasts um, that you wrote about tell us that God wants to be understood and approached by us? Yeah. So I think one of the things in taking them as a whole Mm. um, is that feasts are joyous occasions. They Mm. are 
um, I mean, generally speaking, they're joyous occasions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> there can be examples where people eat a lot of food and it's not, and it's somber, mm-hmm. but for the most part, they're joyous occasions. And just thinking about like, um, one of the chapters on the prodigal son, you know, when we mess up, maybe we think we can't turn to God. God will be angry with me. And here we see a picture of something very different about how we can approach God when we feel like we failed or messed up or have feelings of shame. And so that provides a very clear example of how God can be approached. There was a welcome there and it wasn't just like a, Hey, you know, glad you're back. It was extravagant. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what people who feel like um, they've maybe done so much wrong that they can't, can't turn to God or return to that relationship. Like, no, this story very clearly presents that that's not the case. That when, (laughs) when you come to God in your mess, which is how we all come to him, Mm -hmm. um, that there's a real warm, extravagant welcome there for Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and a restored relationship. So agreed, agreed. And also, even if the person maybe does even doubt if God was good, because in the story, he did think his dad would just give him crumbs. He wasn't even Mm -hmm. convinced that his dad was that generous of a person, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yet he returned. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I do. Um, So, well, as a follow-up also on this idea of how God wants to be understood and approached, um, one thing I really appreciated um, and I had not thought about is that you explained that several of the feasts, there's a built-in requirement of generosity, um, which first of all was a little bit interesting to me because a requirement, generosity, that's almost like an oxymoron to me, but it's like this expectation mm-hmm. of God mm-hmm. on his people that they be generous to the point that he builds it into the feast. So tell me a little bit, like, can you name some of those feasts, um, what that requirement looked like and what you think that tells us um, about God? Yeah. So I wasn't, um, when I, again, when I started off, with the idea for the book, I didn't realize that that angle would even Mm. be a part of it. Mm -hmm. It was something that I discovered as I went through my research. I was like, oh, okay. Well, in the Passover, every Mm -hmm. family has to have a lamb and there can't be any leftovers. So, and it wasn't even something I had thought about, but if there's a family that was too small, whether it was because they were childless or Mm -hmm. it was kids with no parents or whatever the reason was, small families uh, were supposed to be absorbed by larger families. So they didn't have the burden mm. of purchasing and eating an entire lamb on their own. Mm. Um, later in the feast of first fruits, mm-hmm. um, which is where, uh, one of the harvest festivals where they had to give the first of the land and their harvest back to God and Thanksgiving, um, they were commanded to leave the edges of their fields, um, ungleaned. So basically like what, don't go back over your field a second time to get, um, left to make sure that you, uh, get your field completely like harvest is fully, nothing is left, mm-hmm. go over it once. And then whatever is left leave for the poor and the sojourner. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I sort of love about that is there's no s- stipulation about where those people are from or their relationship to God. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're needy, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. like, God saying like, I blessed you, but I also blessed you because I want you to bless the world. Mm-hmm. Like I want you to be a blessing to the nations and I want you to be a blessing to those who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then also in the um, Sukkot, there was, which is a festival to remind the people of Israel about the time of their wandering in the desert. Again, they are supposed to include their servants and include um, sojourners and widows and all of that in their um, celebrations as well. So it came through to me that God's heart for those groups is really tender mm-hmm. and that a part of his goodness to them is his goodness to his people. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how it should work. Yeah. And you <laughs> know, like it, a part of his plan for them is to be good to his people and then have his people be good to them. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it, it's super interesting, actually. I um, I didn't even pick up on this when I read it, but what you just said about the sojourner, because kind of by definition, um, at that time, the 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 people of Israel was who God was talking to. He was kind of naming them as his people. And so, or, um, and the sojourner was by definition, (laughs) not of those people. So the Mm -hmm. implication is um, not just whether they share your geographic or racial or, um, you know, uh, national borders, but also whether they share your religion or not, because by definition Mm -hmm. at that time, if they were not of Israel, like they were not of Right. That that religion. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think that message, <laughs> obviously, you think that message does should speak to those of us who no, no longer celebrate those feasts? Yeah, I think a part of what comes through the book, maybe for people who know me personally, that might not come out as well for people who don't know me as personally. Um, I am a deacon at my church. Mm. And the deacons are um, responsible for overseeing um, mercy and justice ministries and how the church can um, help meet material needs of its congregants and of its wider community. Mm -hmm. And so when I picked up on that thread, I was like, I have to talk about this. (laughs) Mm. I can't leave this out of the book because this is really important to me. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, this is actually really fundamental to our blessedness, if you will, (laughs) or the abundance that we've been given that, um, that it not be hoarded, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it not come and we keep blinders on to who doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I thought that was such a great point. And again, speaking of this idea of how God wants to be understood and approached, um, mm-hmm, not just to receive, but to give, um, to be, yeah. yeah, to be like him as much as possible in inviting others to abundance. Because he does say it's more blessed to give than to receive yeah. <laughs> the opportunity for us to give. So like, here, I'm giving you this chance to be on the, on the more blessed end of this equation and not just receiving, mm. but in a position to give. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. One of the many things said in the Bible that you can go, "Mm, really? (laughs) Uh, Maybe until you experience it more. Right. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So we're kind of talking even again, this uh, like going into this idea of the sojourner and just like trying to get our um, head and mind wrapped around these feasts, um, especially the ones in the Old Testament that can they can just sound very foreign. You know, they're from a completely mm-hmm. different 
um, time and place, but especially time. Um, we're not we're not really even in like an agricultural society anymore, right. you know. And so um, I was thinking about this, and I was. I was trying to like imagine the process of um, digesting this information. Like, <laughs> nice pun, <laughs> not intended. <laughs> you know, <laughs> digesting this information and um, trying to draw meaning from it. And I started thinking about the fact that a lot of these feasts that you mentioned actually are still um, celebrated by modern Jews, whether they're Orthodox or Reformed. So, you know, you mentioned Yom Kippur, which definitely is. Um, the Seder definitely is by every Reformed mm-hmm. Jew I know, um, mm-hmm. even non-religious Reformed Jews. And then some of the others I know are celebrated by more Orthodox Jews. I'm curious if you did, you know, for any of your research, if you ever, you know, participated in any of those feasts. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, what that was like for you if you did. And also, do you think there is a place for Christians to do um, participate in any of those feasts, like a Seder meal or something like that? So my uh, I used to live in Boston back in 2008. And one of my roommates um, at that time was a Jewish woman. Mm. And um, she invited the first time I went to a Seder was at her family's house. She invited mm. our whole house to. Um, go to her family's house to, um, experience the Seder. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and then in DC, I, um, have de- built a friendship with a, a woman who's actually a Jewish storyteller mm. and, um, she, uh, she lives in Baltimore. She invited me to attend a Seder a few years ago. Um, and so I went a few years ago. Um, I don't remember exactly. It, maybe it was like four years ago. So I've attended a couple of seders and um, I found it helpful. I mean, in my research, some things it's just like you can research them, but um, sometimes if you already have an existing connection, it helps give you a starting point. Yeah, for your research, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Like, yes. I've yes. had this meal before. I kind of know what to like a little bit of right 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 I think it was Piaget who said like all knowledge like you have to start with scaffolding and so if you've had an experience like that it's like the scaffolding that you can then build the yeah the the structure of your research around exactly exactly and then um four years ago I was taking Hebrew I'm I'm in seminary I was taking Hebrew and I was taking a class uh on Genesis to um Deuteronomy, mm. um, which is the first five books of the Bible. And then I was taking a class on like the last half of the new Testament mm. <laughs> and Yom Kippur is, or the day of atonement is, uh, mentioned in Leviticus, which is one of the first five books. Mm. And it's also referenced in Hebrews, which is one of the books in the last half of the new Testament. Mm. Um, so I wrote my papers that semester on like the same festival, but from one from the old Testament perspective and one from the new Testament perspective. And I also, uh, went to a temple on that day for that festival, sort of interested in it partially too, because I was taking Hebrew at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it was like, they were speaking, like they were doing readings and stuff. And so I was getting to hear the Hebrew Bible spoken in Hebrew. Um, and 
even like that's very different than the description of what happened on the actual day of the feast with the the killing of the sure. <laughs> yes like there that. is no longer a sacrificial yeah. system in the jewish so, religion yeah yeah so i didn't get to experience that but i did go to a service mm-hmm. and they have services like all day mm-hmm. um i went and i think maybe i was there for 2 hours so i didn't get the full experience but um I have gotten to participate in some of those. Those are the two that I have gotten to experience. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it did help. Yeah. And it was definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a place for, um, I mean, obviously like Christians find meaning, right? You took, you wrote a whole mm-hmm. book on it, on these right. feasts. Do you think that it it is, there's meaning in actually celebrating them? and like incorporating them into the Christian calendar, just like Christmas or Easter um, Advent and Lent are incorporated in. Right. I know that there are a lot of strong opinions on this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you're going <laughs> to, you're going to stay out of them. <laughs> no, I'm not going to stay out of them. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to side with, uh, with Jewish people here and say, it might not be entirely appropriate for Christians to Mm. throw their own satyrs. Like I, Mm. and I kind of, um, I kind of feel this way about, uh, festivals in general. Like I have gotten to participate in a lot of other festivals from other cultures Mm -hmm. and it, you know, it's debatable about whether or not like the Passover is Christian, um, festival or or Jewish festival, but, Mm um, I, one of my other roommates, when I lived in, um, that house in Boston was an Indian woman and I got to go to a Holy. Oh, I just released. Yeah. I just released an episode on that last week. Yeah. So I got to go and like to go to a Holy festival and experience that, but I wouldn't throw my own like, right. Right. um, Right. And there are other kinds of festivals around the world that I've gotten to go to. And while I might like some aspects of them. Mm. So like I had a, I had a prayer uh, night for some friends um, a few years ago and I had, I made several different dishes throughout the evening trying Mm. to help them associate food with different um, elements of things we were praying for. And I did include include something that was from a Jewish Seder Mm. um, in that meal, but I didn't throw a Seder. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, So I would say that it's definitely enlightening. And um, I think that there's a lot that you can learn from participating in them. Mm and seeing how they're celebrated and the significance of that part of our story and shared heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that like they, they should be incorporated into the Christian liturgical calendars mm-hmm. full stop without any change and just labeled completely like, you know, Christian festivals and wiping out the, the, their Jewishness because they're, they're both. Right. Right. And, and yeah, as, especially like you said, unchanged because even, um, people have, you know, the Catholics call it mass, um, evangelicals call it communion or the Lord's supper or mm-hmm. supper. But, um, I think any, any of those would argue that Jesus himself changed, um, well instituted a new, 
um, a new feast, um, you know, from, from the feast of Passover. So yeah. Okay. So as you know, if you're a faithful listener, last week was a break for the podcast, and this is the first uh, episode in my next cycle. So generally, my cycles are just three episodes long. The last one was four episodes, and this next one will be as well. And it's going to include an episode with Omeya Atasi, who is a Syrian food blogger. She'll be sharing her Syrian cuisine, teaching us a lot more about Ramadan and Yed, and also sharing her insights into the terrible struggle in Syria, which has now lasted for over a decade. We'll also welcome M. Amy, who shares one of the best noodle dishes I've ever eaten. I'm thrilled to have this recipe for my family now. And this noodle dish represents her Chinese-Indonesian family. She discusses what it's like to be a third, or really actually a fourth culture kid growing up in Indonesia. We will also welcome back Zuza Zak, who many of you already know from the recent emergency episode about Cook for Ukraine. This time she's coming back for a full episode to talk about Poland, where she's from, and also her cookbook Polska, which is a celebration of the land, history, and the seasonal traditions of the Polish people. So these are three amazing episodes coming up right after Alicia's. You will definitely not want to miss them. And so I'm asking you right now to subscribe to the podcast right this very moment. Uh, Or if you don't listen to podcasts regularly, go ahead into the show notes and scroll down until you see the link to my newsletter. You know how it goes. If you don't click to subscribe right now, I I know you're going to get a phone call or a text and get distracted and you might never come back to the podcast and you'll be missing something. So do yourself and yeah, me too, a favor and hit that button. I really feel so honored to share these stories from my guests. I'm really excited about this next cycle and I want to truly spread them as far and wide as I possibly can. So once again, hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much. And here's Alicia. Actually, I was listening just this week to a really really um, fascinating interview with Philip Yancey, who mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, for people who haven't, he's written a lot about the idea of grace and the goodness of God. And um, he's just, I, I don't know if you knew this, but he's just released a memoir. Um, oh. he's, yeah, he's written over 20 books and it's the first wow. memoir he's <laughs> ever released. And he purposely waited this long because mm-hmm. um, his story is actually quite painful. It involves a mm. lot of pain and he didn't want to talk about certain things um, while, while certain people were alive. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but what he said, and I thought this was so interesting, he said that he views that memoir as the prequel to all 20 theological books, you know, he's written. Interesting. Isn't it? And I thought, oh, yes, I would like to get Alicia's prequel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The prequel to this. So um, I guess uh, I'll start with your prequel by like what you kind of revealed of yourself in in this book. And um, Mm -hmm. again, I want to compliment you on the fact that this book was sort of, um, it, it was sort of like this, um, theological and also practical um, book. And it wasn't a memoir, but at the same time, it was very personal. And I, I think that's a very difficult line to draw. Like, I mean, you went 
I, I felt like you did a great job. Um, you shared enough personal details that it was compelling, hmm. but not so many that people couldn't kind of just read God's word straight to them. Um, mm-hmm. not necessarily like through your experience, but just straight from God to them. Like you really did an amazing job with that balance. So I, compl- I compliment you on oh, that. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's part of the reason, again, the book was so helpful um, to me personally, but one thing that you said that I thought was so interesting, um, you said that you have been invited to all of these feasts. And then you said, sometimes accepting, sometimes sending regrets. <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. curious um, about that line. Like, what are some of the ways that you feel like God kind of spoke to you and, and you accepted? And then maybe some of the ways that he invited you, um, you know, to these abundant feasts and you kind of said, yeah, not now. Tell me a little bit about that. And and did writing this book allow you to accept more invitations from God? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, the fact that Philip Yancey has written 20 books just like, was I know. I know that's like a thing people do, but having written one now, I'm like, how do people even write two? But he's in his 70s and you're in your 30s, right? So you've got 40 more years. <laughs> Um, he, I, I will also say, interestingly, he talks in this conversation about the differences between being a writer when he was a, you know, when his career started. And now mm-hmm. I, I think you would really be interested in that. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, so my prequel or, you know, times that I have said yes and times that I've said, sorry, I have other plans. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I think so I have experienced unemployment three mm. times uh, mm. in my life. And some of them are more explained than other, you know, the more recent one was unexpected, but I lived in China for three years. And when I came back from China, it took me a while to find a job. Mm-hmm. And then I, I lived in Southeast Asia for two years. When I came back to the States, it took me a while to find a job. And during both of those periods, um, I, you know, wasn't making money. I had just come back from living overseas, making very little as well. Mm, And um, you didn't have a lot of savings to fall back on. I didn't have a lot of savings to fall back on. And especially when I came back um, from China, I I write about this in the Psalm 63 chapter Mm -hmm. where I talk about just going through a really difficult period in my faith, but Mm -hmm. Those periods of unemployment for me were really hard. And I think unemployment is hard in general because it's like you get so much of the meaning, your meaning Mm -hmm. and significance and purpose and stuff from the work that you do Mm -hmm. and not having work and then also not being able to provide for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of really plunged me into a period where I had serious doubts Mm -hmm. about God's goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, I would show up um, to church and just cry. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like in a way God was inviting me to something then. And I Mm -hmm. just could, all I could see was my circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's just like, this isn't, you know, like, is this how I'm being repaid for, for like, uh, pursuing because I had gone to China to do, to do missions. And I was just kind of like, is this how I'm being repaid for, the, mm. the good work that I did that I come back. And now my life is kind of like a huge mess. And where are you? And so there are a lot of times where I couldn't see God 
And all I could see was my situation, was my circumstances. Mm. And I would say that, um, those would be times where I said, no, thanks. I have other plans. Regrettably, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I cannot attend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third time <clears throat> that I was unemployed was two years, about two years after I moved to DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my job. Um, and I was unemployed that time for over a year. Yeah. Um, about 15 months. And, um, and I think you write about that a little bit in your book. It seems like you were almost um, targeted. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a messy, um, departure and, uh, really painful. Um, and I knew going into it, like every time I've been without work before I have not done well, mm. my faith hasn't done well. I've just been a mess. I cried all of the time. Um, and I was a little afraid that that's what would happen again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there were a couple of months during that time where I couldn't pay rent and mm-hmm. my mom paid rent one time. My church paid rent one time. There was one month that I didn't have enough money for food. Wow. And I was going around my house, like finding coins that had fallen in different cracks in different places and, um, taking it to the dollar store to buy the heaviest box of junk food that mm-hmm. I could afford. And, um, at the end of that month, that was in November, my friend was having a friend's giving mm. and I was attending and I had just gotten an unemployment check and I went to the grocery store to buy my contribution to what I was bringing to the meal mm. and my, um, the security on my card, like someone had tried to use my card in that short amount of time between me getting no. a, uh, my unemployment check and going to the grocery store. And they were like, my card was essentially like, I couldn't make the purchase. And then I had to call my card company oh. and they were like, you can make this one purchase. And then we're shutting your card off and you have to get another <gasps> card. So it was like insult felt- to injury. Yeah. It's like, what? Uh, I go to this dinner and my friend had this like icebreaker question that he asked everyone about what makes you feel rich. Mm. And, um, you know, the most likely answer or, you know, what was going through my head was like, I don't have enough money really to, to live right now. Mm. And, you know, when friends asked me to hang out, I can only go places that are within walking distance because I can't afford transportation. I don't have a car. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have much now, but this here, this person is asking me what makes me feel rich. And even though I had been in that situation, even though I was unemployed, really struggling financially, I felt like spiritually I had never been so alive mm-hmm. um, that God had never been so present and all that I had, um, sort of expected and anticipated to happen during that time because of past times hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. And so when it came my time to say, what makes you rich? Like a lot of people are like friends, family, whatever. <laughs> I just was like, God, like, mm-hmm. I feel like God makes me rich. Even in the middle of this time where I don't have anything, I feel like I have everything I need, mm-hmm. um, which might sound like a, a privileged middle-class North American thing to say, because not, you know, 
there are people who are worse off than I was, but, um, I just, I don't know. Like I had faith during that time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I feel like I was saying, yes, I want to, like, I want to experience what you have for Mm -hmm. people in that space where they believe that you're still good when they look at their circumstances and it would lead them to suggest otherwise. So you made a statement, um, I, I actually opened up my other document where I was taking notes because I might be able to find it here. Um, you made a statement a little later in, in another chapter where you said um, you remained glued to God's table. Mm-hmm. And that is um, what you experienced during that time. You were sort of glued to his table. Um, yeah. Receiving from him. Um, when you say uh, you... So first of all, thank you. It's really, that's really powerful. Um, When you say that you, you know, responded to his invitation with regrets um, initially the first two times, what do you think it looks like to um, respond to God's invitation? Um, Even when your circumstances are bad, you know, you said you wrote Mm -hmm. this for disillusioned people. If you're disillusioned, and you can't work yourself out of disillusionment. Yeah. <laughs> like, what does it look like to respond to God's invitation in a time like that? Yeah, one of the things that I said, I think it's in the chapter in the twenty, the Psalm twenty-three chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the phrase: "We don't uh, triumph through faith in Christ. Triumph is faith in Christ." Mm. And um, I have spent a lot of my life doubting God when hard things happen mm. and choosing to believe what I see uh, over a long history personally and biblically of God's faithfulness to his people. Mm. I'm like, I don't, you know, I know that there's thousands of years of documentation of you helping people, but this is going to be the time that you don't help somebody. Mm. (laughs) This is going to be the time that you're not faithful. And Mm. I just kind of like wait until whatever painful thing has come into my life passes. And then I'm like, oh yeah, God was good. And now I can see that. And so for me saying Mm -hmm. yes to the invitation is saying like, I know that you're good, even though I can't see how this, how you, even though I can't see you right now, even though I don't know what you're doing, Mm-hmm. I know that you're a God who's always doing something. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're here, even if I can't feel you, because I'm trusting what you've said. Like mm-hmm. I find um, one of the most powerful things um, and for myself, just to stay grounded spiritually is to remember mm-hmm. what God has done um, mm-hmm. and the ways that he's intervened. Mm -hmm. And to take him at his word that if he says he's good, um, to trust that he's good, even Mm -hmm. if I can't see how he's good in the moment, even if I don't have a neat answer or a bow to tie on whatever circumstance, if there's, you know, even if it doesn't end the way that I want to Mm -hmm. not making that determinative of God's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I keep going back to, as, as you did in your book, this word presence, you know, that um, it, despite any of it, right? I mean, the truth is 
100% of people die. <laughs> like we are all mm, going to right. die. So uh-huh. if we view that as a bad ending, which I mean, I don't think a lot of us are wanting to die <laughs> right now, but mm-hmm. if we view that as the bad ending, we're going to necessarily be disappointed um, in God, right? Mm-hmm. But you make this point over and over and over about his presence through all of this. I think that's why the Psalm 23 chapter was so meaningful to me because that person is walking through the valley of the shadow mm-hmm. of death. And you kind of made the point, um, not just like a natural death, but later uh, in the Psalm, it's talking about like in the presence of his enemies, like a fearful, mm-hmm. a battle um, driven type of death, you know? And um, it was so interesting. You said um, at one point, you know, the people invited to this feast, um, they didn't doubt God's cosmic sovereignty. So like, yeah, they thought, oh, you know, at some point this war will end or whatever, Mm -hmm. as much as they doubted his nearness and concern for them Mm -hmm. um, personally. And um, again, I think that's what was so meaningful to me for this. And that's, I think, where I was convicted (laughs) Mm. maybe to respond to the invitation is like, let go of the big picture. Like, um, whatever is going to happen is going to happen in terms of, um, you know, for, for my kids, I can be concerned about, I can be concerned about myself. I can be concerned about our nation. I can be concerned about our world, you know, but um, maybe just let go of that for a moment and take a moment to acknowledge how um, God's presence and his concern, you know, has shown up for you over and over and over again, and believe that he can do that for other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that's a part of why I start the book the way that I do. I start it like the first word of the book is fear. Mm. And I think that that is behind a lot of why we say no, Mm. Um, because we're, we're afraid that this is going to be the time that, um, that God isn't with me or that, mm-hmm. or that God can't see. Like, I think about this is totally like in a different sort of um, vein, but have you seen the movie office space? No. Oh, is that the, the one like, with like Jennifer one? Aniston and she yes, has to uh-huh. wear the bl- like 37 uh-huh. pieces, pieces of yes, flair? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's a, there's a scene in there where they're handing out pieces of cake for some celebration Mm. and that one weird guy is like um but but last time I didn't get any and like (laughs) he refuses to give the piece of cake that he was given to someone else because he thinks that they're going to run out Mm. and then he passes it on and then they do run out and he doesn't get one Mm. and I feel like that is how we act with God Mm. often that like I'm not going to get something this time. Like I, like I have to hoard what I have. Mm-hmm. I have to look out for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have something someone else can't. And so it's like this mm-hmm. fear of like, but last time I didn't get anything. And like, I God think you're work. right. I think you're right. And yes, this idea, um, like, like you said, fear, I, I did not think about that until just now, but I think you're right in this idea of like, if I relinquish the control over, you know, how this might end, or if I'm going to get my job back now, or if I'm whatever, if I relinquish control over that and accept your invitation to just feast on your presence, well, then I might not get the end that I want. <laughs> it's almost like mm-hmm. by somehow holding on to the the um resisting his invitation to just enjoy 
um, him and to rest in him, like as if by resisting that we're somehow more likely <laughs> to get mm-hmm. that outcome, you know, that's, mm-hmm. we're afraid, we're afraid to just, um, embrace, embrace that invitation. That is such a good point. I really appreciate that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, well, backing up even a little bit more, you said, um, you told your publisher, that this book was for anyone who had experienced disillusionment. Um, But for you personally, when did you say, like, when did this topic of feasting become important to you personally? And when did you say like, oh, if I ever write a book, this is going to be the topic. Mm. (laughs) How did that happen? So um, let's go back to that November when Mm. I finally got my um, unemployment check was able to just buy what I needed for that Friendsgiving and had to answer the question about what makes me rich. That friend, I actually spent every Thanksgiving except for the most recent few in DC at his house. Mm. Um, And he asked me after that meal, Hey, Alicia, could you like next year, could you write a blessing for our um, Thanksgiving meal? Mm. And cause he, he's someone who's read my blog and likes my writing and, um, just like wanted me to write something for the meal that we could, um, that could be read or that could be, you know, read together. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I started, I was reading through Jeremiah that year, mm-hmm. which is weird to say I was reading through Jeremiah that year. I just really liked that book. I would get to the end and start over not like, <laughs> I really? what happened, but I just really liked that book. Wow. So I spent a lot of time in it. Wow. And there's one verse that says, I will feast the souls. I will feast the soul of the priest with um, abundance. Hmm. And I looked at the Hebrew and the literal meaning for that word was fat. Hmm. And so that sort of got me off on this tangent of looking up. I don't understand. Like, how does fat mean abundance? Mm -hmm. What's the significance of, um, giving the fat to the priests and what does it mean to feast someone's soul? Mm. Um, that imagery was really powerful to me because mm. I I've experienced feasts, you know, all across Asia in the United States. <laughs> um, and I know what it feels like on an emotional social level to mm. be with good people and good food. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it feel like on a soul level mm-hmm. to be with good people and good food? Mm. Um, and why would God offer that to his people? So that was sort of where the initial kernel of the idea of writing about feasting came from. So I wrote the blessing for that. Mm. Um, but during my research for writing that blessing for that dinner, um, I just got to explore the, this theme throughout scripture. And um, I remember another specific conversation I had with someone where I asked them, what do you, they, who was going through a hard time there on the phone with me crying. And I asked them, what do you think God has for you right now? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't answer that question. And mm-hmm. I didn't answer for, I didn't answer it for them in the moment, but I just felt like I, I want people to know a, that God has immediate things for us in our time of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, even again, if it's not the rescue that we're expecting, that mm-hmm. it's not rescue or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, And that I had been, you know, investigating this idea of feasting and scripture and seeing it over and over again, and all of the different implications of that. 
Um, and so when the opportunity presented itself for me to write something, I was like, I kind of want to do something that like captures feast and the idea of the immediacy um, of God's mm-hmm. grace to us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know we're coming um, short on our time. So I do, I do want to talk a little bit about your time um, in the far East. Um, and so for, you, you were bringing up this idea of fat and, you know, Jeremiah and all that. Do you mind just sharing the story of when you went to oh. that? You, yeah, you know what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> please, about, yeah. please the wedding share. I went yes, to. Um, oh man, this. I have so many stories, <laughs> so many food things, but yeah. So I was at a wedding in China um, for, for a student's cousin of mine. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, in China, people often eat around round tables and, you know, like someone brings out the the food onto the table and there's a plate of like semi-translucent gelatinous cubes. And I have no category for what this could possibly be. And so I, you know, as the foreigner, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what, what is this? Cause I don't generally eat things that I can't identify. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a safe rule. <laughs> and so somebody was like, it's fat. And I was like, like, it's fat. Like, I don't understand. Like fat like, and what? <laughs> yeah. Like, where's the meat? They're like, oh, It's just fat. And I was like, you eat just fat. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not eating like, I didn't always have this posture, but I was like, I'm not eating that. Like it was one of the things it was just like chicken heart, blood and fat. And I'm like, no, I'll eat all sorts of other things. But everybody around the table started laughing. They're like, oh, haha, foreigners don't eat fat. Um, but it was just like wild to me because we try and cut fat off of things or like have as lean a cut of meat. Yeah, I mean, I tell my kids put it on my plate, but <laughs> I, I do. I love that. I mean, I do love bacon. Yeah, um, but like, how, how, do you know how they make the this? Do they like uh, render it and then call? How, like, how do they? How do they? I'm not even sure if they. I'm not. I'm not totally sure. That is I would crazy. have to look it up. And how did they? Did they? How did they eat it? A fork and I mean chopsticks. Just use their fingers. I, don't think that they use chopsticks because it wasn't uh, solid enough. Oh, uh, to, to like if oh. you put your chopsticks in it, it would cut through. Um, cut through. So oh. there's like little spoons that they have on tables too. Um, oh wow! They sometimes like use anything that's like you know tofu can be if it's soft enough. Also very difficult to okay uh, navigate with chopsticks. So using a, a spoon to put it on your plate and then like adding it to your rice and eating it with your rice or something like that. Wow. What, what a story. <laughs> yeah. That's... I also one time, um, there was cow stomach. Oh, was brought to the table and I thought it was wet napkins. So I started wiping <laughs> my hands with it. And then my friends were like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I didn't know tripe was a thing. And they were like, oh, cow stomach. And I was like, it looks like a towel. So it was just thinly, thinly shaven. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, good for you for putting yourself in that situation, <laughs> right? I mean, good, yeah. good for you. So, well, I, like I said, I know our time is short. I know you have work today. So let me just finish by asking you about this um, recipe that you shared. It's also from your time. You mentioned Southeast Asia, but we can say specifically, this is from, um, Laos. Laos. Yeah, yeah, we can say that. Okay. So tell us, tell me about this, um, rest. I am not sure how to pronounce it. So first of all, pronounce it for me. Uh, oh, Jiao Macfet. Jiao Macfet. Jiao Macfet. Yes. Okay. So it's a little bit weird for your favorite food from a country to be a condiment, but Jiao Macfet is basically like, uh, Lao salsa. You could think of it like that. It's um, made with uh, chili peppers mm. and I think garlic and maybe a fish sauce. I don't remember exactly, but um, you can buy it anywhere there. And it's really common for people to um, eat it with rice, with sticky rice. Um, and there's a lot of different kinds of jail. Jail is like sauce and mock pet means pepper. So you mm. can make jail with tomato or you can make jail with like really anything you can make gel with insects as well. I didn't try that, but it's a thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's really, it's like, I don't, it's used maybe as frequently as butter is, but like really? not in the same way that butter is like, you know, like people just like put butter on a lot of things or I don't know, maybe the butter's, butter's not the best thing, but it's like a staple at when people yeah. eat it with their with their dishes. Yeah. It's a part of every meal. It's not, um, it doesn't, you know, we only eat certain things with salsa, but they would put many, many, many things with this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you specifically mentioned, um, sticky rice balls that they would eat with it and that yes. you, you ate it in a particular way. You were complimented on your technique. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the highest compliment that I got when I, uh, lived in Lao, people said that I ate sticky rice like a Lao person mm. um, because people in Lao eat with their hands mm -hmm. um, and sticky rice, which is very, very sticky. Um, if it's like the real stuff, mm -hmm. um, they would put it into the palm of their hand, make a, a ball out of it. Sorry about the siren. If you That's that. okay. Uh, make a ball out of it and then use the ball as a utensil of sorts to, mm. because the rice is sticky to, um, grab other items of food because the food would adhere to it. So, um, it felt like a lot of, when I go out to lab restaurants now with friends, they eat sticky rice with a fork, which to me is like insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's totally their own way. Very or inauthentic. Like, <laughs> yes. Very inauthentic. And they're like, uh, oh, we don't eat with our hands. I was super excited to eat with my hands anyway. So sticky rice is also like a staple. And so the two of like, that's one thing that's very like unique. Like there is mm -hmm. sticky rice in Thailand, but they often will just have like Jasmine rice with their meals. Mm. But sticky rice is the main kind of rice that people eat with their food in Laos. So when you went to this restaurant, did you go ahead and use your hands or did you, did you bow to the <laughs> pressure? Oh, no, I always use my hands. You I don't did? believe I'm... in eating sticky rice with the fork. It's I'm... just, it cannot be done. <laughs> I'm so impressed with you. And you know, if you need to clean your hands, you can always just use the tripe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so when I make this to photograph it, I think that I, I, I have a handle on the, um, you said Jiao Mekfet. 
Mc, my pet. Yeah. McPet. Not it's not mm-hmm. pH for us. The, it's pet. The H is silent. Silent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What I do not quite understand is what. I, I understand the directions for making the sticky rice. Um, one, do I ha- have to buy, do you have a bamboo steamer like this? Um, or I do you- don't have a bamboo steamer. Do I've you- never made sticky rice before. Oh. <laughs> so I have only, yeah, I've never made it because I don't have the bamboo. Thing. Well, then I will be YouTubing. <laughs> yeah. I'll be YouTubing. Do you know what kind of rice I need to buy? Or would you- uh, it needs to be uh, glutinous rice. Glutinous rice. Okay. Okay. You okay. can I- use, they have purple and they have white. I think white is the more authentic, but if you can only find purple, that will do. Okay. Interesting. You know, I've used glutinous rice flour um, uh, for uh-huh. recipes. Uh-huh. Um, someone okay. gave me a recipe for Ningao, um, like the okay. glutinous rice cake that they eat on oh. the... Um, Chinese New Year. Oh, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've used the rice flour, but never glutinous rice. So this will be interesting. <laughs> this will be exciting and fun. Oh, so, challenge. Yeah, I, I do. I enjoy it. <laughs> That's half of it. So, well, um, this this hour has gone too fast and I would, I would love to talk to you more, but I want to respect your time and I need to give my kids a piano. So um, I just want to say again, thank you. Um, not only for your time today and your authenticity, but again, for writing this book. Um, I really appreciate it. Could you tell us what's next for you? It sounds like you're already working on another book. And also, um, of course, where everyone can find you and your book, Invitations to Abundance. Yes. So I am working on a second book. Um, It is tentatively titled Feet Cry Mercy, which Mm. is also the name of my blog. Mm. Um, so feet, you can find feet cry mercy, feet cry mercy. Wow. Mm. Um, which is, was originally a reference that I coined for dancing until your feet cry mercy. Oh, okay. um, but I came to adopt it for living a life of empathy and trying to understand other people. Mm. Um, and so walking in other people's shoes until your feet cry mercy. So that's the mm. name. That's the meaning behind the name of my blog. And that is, uh, the name of the book as well. Mm. Um, and so you can find my writing on feetcrymercy.com. You can find, um, invitations to abundance. Um, I think anywhere books, books are sold. Amazon has it. Mm-hmm. Um, target has it. Um, and I think that's target has it. That's huge. I don't know if you can go into the store, but you can buy it online at Target. That's great. Alicia. <laughs> Thanks. I haven't seen it like in a store, but I also haven't been to any stores. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to be a good moment when you do. That's going to be a fun moment. Yes. Okay. Well, um, all of those links, of course, are definitely going to be in the show notes. Um, People can can find those. I'll send them to you to check. And um, yes, I'm right here on Feet Cry Mercy right now. Really looking forward to reading more of this. Definitely looking forward to your second book. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Alicia. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in to the end. As always, all of the ways to contact Alicia and to find her book and her blog are right there in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, which I would truly appreciate, and in so doing, you will also be supporting my guests and their stories, um, uplifting those, uh, sharing more about their culture and heritage, then the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating or review, and also, of course, to subscribe and forward this episode to anyone you think may enjoy it. Thank you so much and have a great week, my friends.